Today I want to talk about, lest the Lord changes it, which is free for him to do. He's free to do, of course. Daniel, you shared one of my scriptures. Um, is about being moved by compassion. Being moved by compassion. The Father's compassion and mercy. Jesus' compassion and mercy. And mankind and us our compassion and mercy. Amen. So first of all, would you just close your eyes with me? Father, our greatest desire today is that Jesus be lifted, that you be lifted. And my prayer is, Lord, that you would increase and I would decrease and that the people's ears and eyes would see and hear a message custom fit for them and know that you are speaking to them, Lord. I trust this with all of my heart to you, that we be changed, transformed from one degree of splendor to the next this day by your glory, and we give you all honor and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it, amen, which is what amen means. So be it, so let it be done. Um, compassion, I'll give you the definition first. To be moved as to one's inwards, and these are biblical terms. To be moved with compassion. In that sense, the being moved by compassion, because compassion can be a noun, to be moved by compassion, it's a verb. It's used as a verb. What is a verb, everyone, that's had English? It's an action word, right? And so what we're talking about is action. And um, the alt also it can be syn not synonymous, but it can also be translated the same in the Hebrew and in the Greek as mercy. It also means these are wonderful definitions, which is why I'm sharing them. Because we think we know what a word means. And sometimes we don't understand what it means in light of what God says. It means to have pity, a feeling of distress through the ills of others, to suffer with another, to be affected similarly. Sometimes used in the way of mercy, it would be to show kindness or assistance to someone. Now, I'm going to read a verse if you'd like to go to Psalm 145, Psalm 145 with your little machines or your Bibles. I kind of like the old-fashioned uh, Bibles. I like writing all over my Bible. I don't know how to write all over my iPhone, but I know you can. I know you can take notes, and you kids are all fast, 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 but um, I prefer to flip through. And I do believe... Now, I'm going to share something. This is a Beckyism. This is not a, um, I cannot say this is a word from God, but I'm going to tell you this. I miss the days when people open their Bibles in church and take notes. Because if we really love the Word of God and we really want to change, and you really believe it's the Word of God, you should want to remember what God said. And if God prophesies and you leave and you go, wow, it was a good church service, what did God say? What do most people say? I don't know, but it was good. 
Well, guess what? It's kind of hard to grow that way. And you know what it is? It isn't legalism. It's a love. Sorry, Nancy. Sorry, Bob. It's a love for God. A love for his word. A respect for his word. One time when I was with Bob Curry, a mighty man of God, and a mentor to me, Stuart, and others through the years, I put my Bible on the, on the floor because I didn't have room where I was sitting. We were overseas. And he picked it up and he handed it to me. And he goes, we don't put our Bibles on the floor. We don't put our Bibles on the floor. You see, because he understood holiness. He understood people have died for that Bible. Tyndale, you can buy a Tyndale Bible at your local Bible bookstore. And that man in England wanted the people that couldn't speak Latin, because very few were educated, to be able to hear and read the word of God for themselves. So he created that Bible. Do you know where he ended up? Burned at the stake with Bibles that he had made. So that others could read the word of God rather than going through a priest whom they couldn't even understand. Religion. The word of God. Jesus said, my words are life. They are spirit and they are life. And you know what? That's why I use usually a lot of scriptures when I preach. Because I know that I might expound, but the expounding isn't the important part. It's the word going in you that changes you. You were transformed and born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. You wouldn't have got saved without it. And if it wasn't because of that, there are people in church that think they're saved that aren't. Because you got to know, let me get down let me get down in real jail talk. You got to know that you got to be saved from something to be saved. Which means you got to be convicted of your something that you need to be forgiven of. To be right with God. And we've been passing it out. I'm talking church universal. We've been passing it out like it's free candy. Oh, please come to Jesus. He's just so nice. He just loves you. And it's true. He'll take you as you are. Just as I am without one flea or plea or whatever. How's it go? (laughs) Just as I am. He will take you. But there are too many dry-eyed prayers. And it's time for us to realize that God really is holy. And yet today I'm going to talk about his compassion, which really is a revelation about how much God's love can transform us. And in like, we should give that kind of honest, sincere, non-religious love back to him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And to not be ashamed to say that. And if you have to say it in a mixed crowd, then say it. Don't be like a Pharisee. 
Don't be concerned whether or not your robes are straight and people see you give or think you're great because it's the least that's the greatest of all, is it not? Amen. Sometime in here, I'm going to, we'll get in this message. You're at Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Let's just slow down there. He's slow to anger. How many of you have felt any time recent that God's mad at you? God's angry at you. Most Christians I talk to privately are guilty and think God's mad at them. They do not understand. You can repent. Of course, you must repent and repent quick. When, when you feel sin, just repent right then. Don't wait till you got a whole pile and say, I'll do a one-time prayer. Just stay clean. Stay clean. Stay washing. Stay washing in the blood. But he says that God is slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to a few people. Oh, that's right. He's good to all. <laughs> the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. <clears throat> okay. Now, normally, I like to go through stories, and we will go through one story, Lord willing. <clears throat> But I want to share with you scripture, turn to John 3, scripture we know very well, another scripture, which even though the word compassion or mercy <clears throat> is not in this scripture, I believe it is the greatest act, and it is, of course, the greatest act of God being moved by compassion and mercy that we have written in the Bible. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, which represents Jesus on the cross, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now quote this one with me. You all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. God is a God of mercy and love and compassion, and not just for the Christians that got it down and got it right. He's a God of mercy and compassion who is crying out for a world in sin, for sheep that are not of this fold, and he doesn't want us consumed about just us being inside church and getting better and better and fed and fed until we're so fat spiritually by being fed and yet not giving out that we're like little balls sitting on chairs. Is that too graphic for you there? Now, I say, I say this to myself. You cannot preach... And preach with any sincerity without having lived it first or gone through it first. And if it's any kind of correction, trust me on this one, you have been corrected your own self. Not good grammar, but it's the truth. 
Now, Jesus' compassion, now these scriptures I'm going to read, one of which Daniel read today, which was a confirmation to me. I appreciate that. Thank you. But I'm going to go later into a more extended version, which he's probably going to get after on Wednesday, too. And uh, God has mightily anointed him, and I knew him before he was born. And God had prophesied even way back then that God would be using him. You probably don't remember that, Daniel, since you weren't there yet. You were just right in mommy. Um, <laughs> I'm fronting you off, I know. <clears throat> Matthew 9, 36. I will, you can write these down. I can't wait to see pins and paper in church. I mean, I cannot wait. I was raised that way and, and in the 80s, and it is just so odd to me to just see people like, not even turn to it maybe on their phones or even in their Bibles. I'm sorry, I don't mean to say, this is not religious. This is not legalism. This is about people loving God's word. It is a word that saves us. It is the word that changes us, unctioned by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost only confirms the word. He don't confirm your, I think it sort of maybe says. He confirms the word, and we need to have the word in us. Jesus was the word made flesh, and we are the flesh made the word. We're supposed to be the flesh being made the word. Oh, we all want to be blessed, but the Bible says that God's purpose is that we be conformed to the image of the Son. We're not here just to be blessed. We're here to be conformed. And the word conforms you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for the word of God. Think about the days when the church first started, when they'd send a letter, and one church would read. They didn't have the Bible, you understand? One church would read it, and then they'd send it to the other church, and they'd pass it around the churches so they could all hear it. And we have a Bible we can just open anytime we want. Hallelujah. Um, I'm going to read through some verses about Jesus' compassion. And I normally, like I said, would rather read them in context, but they speak for themselves, and so I think it will be fine to share them. And we're going to see what compassion can do. With passion, C-O-M, with passion, to have, have that desire, that yearning, that expression that fire, that zeal, a passion, with passion, compassion for others, to see, to feel their ills, to feel their hurts, to have your insides yearn, to see them free. That's what travail and prayer is, actually, and that's a whole other issue. Matthew nine thirty six. but when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So there is a compassion for the lost, for those scattered. There's many scattered Christians, wounded Christians that don't want to go to church because they were hurt by religion. If you think that people around here, that one of them hurts you, that means that God failed or that this church is bad, you're wrong and you're looking at the wrong person. We need to look to Jesus. But some people have honestly been hurt by crooked, evil, money-hungry people. I'm really getting down, aren't I? Oh, it's okay, whatever. I can be thrown out. It's okay. If you th get the hook, get the hook. Um, 
with people that have not done God's will or spoke God's word or had God's heart but got religious even in tongue-talking circles and brought in false doctrine and hurt people. And people have left for that reason. And this is why, do you know one of the first things that was said about the last days? But know that in these days there will be deceiving spirits. The first line, the first line. So do you not need to know the word of God? You better know the word of God. And you better be like a good Berean. Acts 17, 11, thank you. My man, thank you. 1711, and study to see whether or not those things be true when you hear something preached. Hallelujah. We're all called to that. Not just the ones that you go, wow, man, they really have it together. No, we're all called to that. Matthew 14, 14. This is another thing compassion will do. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. So there's also a compassion that brings healing to the sick. Let's just do this right here. Mark 1, 40 through 41. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him and saying, We were all lepers before we got saved. Do you know that? Do you know how many of you are saved? How many of you are not? Don't be ashamed. You're not sure. Okay. Some don't want to say so. It's okay. Um, I was in the miry clay, and he took me out. He had, there was nothing, absolutely nothing I could give him. And he cleansed me. And he cleansed you. And we were like lepers. Being eaten away with sin like leper's flesh is eaten away with leprosy. And this man said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will. I'm willing. What do you need? Jesus is telling you, I'm willing. Be thou clean. Now, understand that this is not just a healing. This is a healing of the unwanted. This is a healing of the outcast. Because lepers were unclean. And so they had to walk when they were away from their local structure where all the lepers stayed. They had to walk around going, unclean, unclean. They had to wear the label of being a leper. And they had to make sure that everybody around them knew so that they wouldn't make anybody else unclean. How would you like to have a life like that? So he didn't just heal him. This man got healed in his woundedness, in his hurt, in his rejection, in him being an outcast. Hallelujah. Now, Mark 5. Let's go to Mark 5. I never knew which one we would end up maybe stopping and reading. I have them printed, but I do prefer to really look in my Bible. Somehow on paper, it doesn't seem as holy to me as when I'm looking in my Bible. (laughs) 
Okay, how many of you have heard of the madman of Gadara? Isn't that Matthew 5? The demoniacs, yes. I sometimes make a joke that it's the madman of Madeira. Uh, actually, it's Gadara, to pronounce it correctly, but most of us say Gadara. And I'm going to go through the story briefly because there's a point I want to get to. And, you know, he's there, he's cutting himself, he's screaming, he's, he's having these, uh, he's chained up. And when Jesus asks him, you know, uh, um, about uh, who he is, let's see, he says, he, he ran, at verse 6, he ran after Jesus and worshipped him. That, you know what I believe? I believe that was his inner man. I have had some experience with casting devils out of people. I mean, people that are really demonized, like broke six wooden chairs by just hitting them, and the person weighed 135 pounds. And, um, of course, he, he got free. But that'll happen when you've been out in graveyards digging up charms off people's bodies. It was in Brazil. But, um, and, but you, when you do that, you have to find the place in the person, and Jesus finds it, and this is how you'll know, First of all, the anointing will be there. If you can read the Gospels, you don't see Jesus casting out devils in, until after the devil's manifested that we know of. It's not all written, but what's written here. So the anointing is present. But there's something inside the person that wants to be free. There, You have to find that place in them that is willing to receive Jesus or they'll be seven times worse. And... I believe that worship was the man within himself wanting to worship Jesus. Because we know every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But it doesn't mean the demons are happy about it. So I don't think it was them. I think this man was crying out himself. And they cried out and said, Jesus, Son of the Most High, I adjure thee by God, thou torment me not. So the man worshipped, and then the demons, you know, they manifested. For he had said to them, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. Now, I believe a legion can be what, 10,000? Isn't it 10,000? Somebody that knows, tell me, anyone, anyone, anyone? Robert, anyone? 6,000, thank you. I love it. There's scholars in the room, man. Woo! <laughs> Ask Leroy. Leroy Robert. They will know. And some of the rest of us, too, sometimes. Um, so we go through the story, and he gets cast out of the devil. Jesus allows them to go into the pigs. Everybody in town's going, ah, and freaking out. That's what I said. We don't need to be religious, okay? There's a difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is not Christianity. I had someone tell me one time, oh, you're very religious. I said, oh, I hope not. I want to get to verse 40. No, I don't. I want to get to verse... They wanted Jesus to leave. They wanted Jesus to leave. Someone got delivered that they were all afraid of, and they wanted Jesus to leave. They got used to their demonized man. They didn't like being uncomfortable. Hallelujah. 
Verse 18 says, this is a very important part right here, verse 18. When he was coming to the ship, he, Jesus, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, you need to go through a program and get six weeks of counseling. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made that up. And he said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and how and hath had compassion on thee. Casting out devils is compassionate. It's not us acting like we're tough or strong or you come out in Jesus' name. The times that God has, has, I've been a part of casting out devils, I will, I'm weeping inside. I feel like it's my own baby drowning in a pool, and I want to pull them out with all my might because it's God in us, not us. It's God in us being moved by compassion. And he said, you go tell what I did. You go share your testimony. We're not supposed to sit and just talk to each other. Share your testimony. Nobody can take your testimony from you. Nobody can tell you it's not true. I got, most of you know this, but I got saved while I was snorting cocaine. And I mean, I saw God. I saw the light of God, and I woke up different. And my spirit went, that's God, and I need him. I didn't tell my friend. I didn't tell my saved friend that didn't want to have any of it. That was my sister-in-law that just got saved. But I was like, that's God, because I I knew him as a little girl. And I got to have him, and I woke up different. That's not very religious, is it? I did immediately go to church then and witnessed everything, including telephone poles. Verse 20. Well, I might have missed the pole, but if you were standing next to it, you got it. Led someone to the Lord in the back of me and Ed's, one of the guys working there. Asked one girl if she wanted to get saved and handed her a track, and she said, get away from me. Do you know that I ran into that girl? What are the chances? Three times in Fresno. Three times. The third time was out of me and Ed's. I had a me and Ed's anointing. And she ran in the back from the checkout counter and told a guy that I knew because he came to our church later. And she goes, I can't be around that woman. You got to go up and do it. You got to have to go out there and take that part. You got to do the register. I cannot talk to that woman. I don't know, but I'm believing God she got saved eventually. (laughs) Oh, God, we need to be with people young that have been saved and people just on fire that just got saved because we get old and stagnant and stale sometimes. And that is just flat the truth, people. You know what will liven up a church? New believers. People that believe God can do anything. And don't you dare tell them different. Because you know what? That's not Bible. They read it. They say, okay, I believe it. That's it. And that's how we need to be. But we get dignified. Sort of like the Pharisees. And, you know, we get mature. I remember one time. I'm so not going to get through this. <laughs> I remember one time people were giving testimony. It was a big church. We had like a church of like 800 people. <clears throat> and we were, I was the elder there. My, my husband and I were elders there. And, you know, so 
you're, you're ready to be dignified and pray for people and, you know, give counsel and that kind of stuff. And this couple were sharing about how God had touched them, and the girl just couldn't quit, cry, quit crying. And I thought, oh, I remember the days when I cried over everything. Now, of course, you know, <laughs> I'm mature. And you know what the Lord, the Lord spoke to me? I mean, man, he spoke to me hard. He goes, yeah, that's because your heart's hard now. I went, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I was, I, I was undone, with, and I felt like I was without God and his son. I mean, I was undone. And, uh, boy, I repented, and I said, oh, Lord, forgive me, because I was always weepy. I mean, you think Tammy Faye Baker was weepy? I was weepy. I, ha- I have to wear mascara that is waterproof, even to this day. To this day, if I see a Hallmark commercial, there it goes. My kids used to stare at me as soon as anything that was like a Hallmark commercial or a lovey fuzzy moment on the TV, they both would just go like this. Yep, there she goes. <laughs> okay, so, uh, oh, get this, verse 20. And he departed and he began to publish, and they, he didn't do it with a newspaper, did it with his mouth, in the Decapolis, which means 10 cities that were in that area, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. So you see, after the move of compassion, there is healing, deliverance, being set free, and then to follow that is to be a publishing of what has happened. And if you want to prove this out, you can go to John 15 and see that in the Decapolis, it was a later date, There's just three little verses there, but it talked about how everybody was waiting for him. Why do you suppose? Why do you suppose? Because they heard from the madman of Gadara. Gadara. Madara. A guy that was crazy, full of devils, that people feared, that had to live in the tombs. People were terrified of this man. And pretty soon, this is the man that's a local evangelist drawing all people by his testimony so that when Jesus got there, he already had a crowd. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, oh, goody, we did pretty good. I want to get to compassion in our own lives. First of all, let's recognize that we're made in his image. You are little Christ. You know, it was the world that gave Christians the name Christians. They were called followers of the way in the beginning. And when they were at Antioch, they were called Christians, little Christs, little anointed ones, in like manner of Jesus. And so we are Christians, we are little Christs. The Lord wants us to move by compassion. And remember these words, these words that Jesus, uh, that are from the heart of God. In 1 John 3.17, this is for the body. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And now, how about for the world? And although the word compassion, the word compassion is not in this verse, it is truly the essence of true religion and true compassion. For the world, James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hallelujah. 
And Jesus taught by example. Now we're going to go back to Matthew 9:36, where Daniel was sharing. And I'm going to share. This is actually a very important scripture. You know, when you're on the radio, they tell you never have dead air. So people usually fill it with um, uh, um, uh, wah, um. I'm cool with silence. It's okay. Right? Let's let the word soak in and make sure we don't get ahead of God. Hallelujah. Verse 35. Go up a verse. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Wouldn't it be nice if the church really got back to the true gospel? Possibly the signs and wonders that the Holy Spirit follows the word with, according to Mark 16, are not happening because the true gospel isn't being preached. Because you see, the true gospel is about Jesus. It's not about church growth. It's not about what we can offer you. It's about Jesus, him crucified, risen again, to wash us from our sins, and that we now are his disciples to go forth and do as he commanded us to do. And the pure word of God with no extra bells and whistles added, including fads and including extra biblical teaching. And if you're not in the word, you won't recognize it. Hallelujah. But you do have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things, and you have no need that any man teach you. That's in 1 John. People quote that like, oh, I have no need that any man teach you. You know what that's talking about? 1 John's all about deception. The whole book is about deception and the Antichrist, who, as he said then, was now present in the world, the spirit of Antichrist. That means that there were people above that. If you go up above that verse, that you have an anointing that will teach you, your anointing in your gut, your spirit man, The anointing of the Holy Ghost in you will tell you when something's wrong, even when your head doesn't get it. Because before that, he says, there were those that were amongst us, but we found out they weren't really of us, and that's why they went out from us. Because deceivers were amongst the believers. So you have an anointing. Sometimes you'll just know in your gut something's not right when someone's even quoting the word because they've got a wrong spirit. We we need to get sharpened sharpened hallelujah so we went about the villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom that's where i left off verse 35 the last half and healing every sickness and every disease among the people but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd we read that before But let's go on. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore that the Lord of the harvest, to the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Why do you suppose he said that? Because he couldn't get to everyone. It wasn't just, oh, pray there be, Lord, let send, send a harvester, send a laborer to my son that's not saved, God. You know, what he, what he was saying is, oh, my, he saw the multitudes, 
And he knew, of course, seeing all things into eternity, that there'd be more multitudes. And his heart of compassion cried out and he said, oh, pray that there be more labors for this harvest. We need more workers. I can't do it all, but I can do it through you. Hallelujah. And then he equipped them. Forget that there's a chapter 10. We didn't stop. Jesus didn't stop. They didn't have chapter 10 when Jesus spoke. He moved right on. So let's go to the next verse. And when he called him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits. Let's stop right there. Some people think, well, that's the disciples. Well, in Matthew 28, he told the disciples at the end of the chapter, whatsoever things I have taught you, you teach them. So whatever they learned, we're supposed to learn and we're supposed to do. It wasn't just for them, the instruction. He said he gave them power against unclean spirits. Say, I have power against unclean spirits. To cast them out. And to heal all manner of sickness. Work with me, people. And to heal all manner of sickness. And all manner of disease. So you see, he did it. He saw it. He was moved. He cried out that there would be more so more could be touched. And then he gave them the power to do what the laborers were to be sent for. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay, I'm pretending there's not a clock. How about you? They're like, oh, God, please don't let it be the everlasting gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. That was Jesus' cry. Do you realize that was the cry of Jesus' heart? It wasn't just a quote or a scripture. It was a cry from his innermost being, harvesters people, labors to harvest the souls and the hurting and the multitudes that needed deliverance and healing and demons cast out. And healing is not always just physical. Most of you know that. When he was on the cross, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. That word actually means uh, healed spirit, soul, and body. What does compassion look like? There's one or two people I have to speak to, and I'm going to make it brief and not really turn there and just tell the story to not take too much time. Matthew 18 is about unforgiveness, right? You remember the story. The master who had a servant who owed him very, very much, and the servant fell down on his knees, and he begged for mercy, and his, his master forgave him. Now, let's read that verse, Matthew 18, 27. I will read it. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. The act of forgiveness is compassion. When you forgive, it's compassionate. And if you read that whole story, the the man that was forgiven then had someone that owed him much, much less. And that man got on his knees and asked for mercy. And guess what this wonderfully forgiven man did? He choked him. 
Give me all you owe me. And he had him thrown in prison. And Jesus taught after that that this man put in prison, not the man put in prison, but the one that didn't forgive was turned over to the tormentors. Do you know that if you don't forgive, you're turned over to tormentors? Who do you suppose tormentors are? Anyone? 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 Demons. You can be a believer. If you have unforgiveness, you can be turned over to tormentors. And he said, and so shall the Father do to you if you forgive not. Hallelujah. That's for somebody. Now, let's move on. That, I, that was for someone. But when you forgive, it's compassion. You don't forgive for them. I was molested. Lots of women were molested. When I forgave that man, I, I didn't for so many years because I felt it was like saying it was okay. He gets away with it because he wasn't saved even later. He gets away with it. That doesn't mean he gets away with it. It means I get free and he's in God's hands. I don't forgive because I feel like it. I forgive because I was commanded to. It's the very essence of being a Christian. The very essence of being a Christian and like Christ is the cross which says, I forgive you. And if you don't, you will be tormented. So if you are tormented, you might want to ask God where it is, where it's coming from, who you have not let off the hook. Because you staying mad, you really think that hurts them? You really think they give any care for that? You're hurting you. Okay, that's enough of that. The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. We skipped something else. We don't care. Let's go on to Luke chapter 10. God is really helping me. Thank you, Jesus. (sighs) Hallelujah. Okay, and we're going to start at verse 30. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. How many of you think you really know that story? Uh, Oh, raise your hands, people. How many of you know that story? Interaction, interaction. Okay. Okay, this is a story about a man that's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road, and he poured in the oil and the wine. Young people, you never heard that song? (laughs) That road started... At 3,200 feet, it went down below sea level. No, it started at 2,500 and went down. It, went, it had a level from the top to the bottom, and it was 18 miles long of 3,200 feet. I saw pictures of it. It's amongst hills. You couldn't make it in a day, so that's why they would have an inn occasionally for people to stop at because it was very windy, And it was called the path of blood because the robbers would lie in wait and it was, it was rocky. It was difficult to walk on. It was steep. And usually when people were going back home from Jerusalem, as in the priest and Levite of the story is where they would go down that road, but people, it was, it was a road of danger and the, and everyone knew it. That's why it was called the bloody path. So let's, uh, or the way of blood, both, both terms have been used. Let's start at verse, where am I? Um, 
Okay. And Jesus answering said, well, actually, there was a lawyer talking to him, not one like Stuart, because Stuart already knows. But there was a lawyer talking to him and asking him, you know, who's my neighbor? Because they're talking about the laws and showing love, and this man is really wanting to justify his own goodness. So Jesus tells him a story. And he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now let me just give you background here. Just make a pause right there. Pause right there. And this a priest coming from Jerusalem has probably already done his duties and gone through his cleansings. But they knew that if they touched a dead body, they would be ceremonially unclean and they would have to go clean again. And not wanting the trouble of it, he goes over to the other side and walks. So who is he thinking about, himself or the person that's hurting? Himself. And here's another little side note on that about ourselves, seeing ourselves in the story. Nobody was there to see him. What do we do when nobody's there to see us? What do we do when no one can say, woo, 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 for you, you know? It was just him and the man that was dying. Verse 32. And likewise, a Levite, that's, that's like a step down from the priest. They were, they were helpers to the priest, but they didn't have, hold the same exact position. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. And who was he thinking about, himself or the person in need? Himself. <clears throat> 33, but a certain Samarian, Samaritan. And you know that the Levites and the priest knowing the Torah, were instructed to do good deeds of kindness. That was one of the things that they were supposed to do. And so um, it was not just being compelled because it was a right thing. It was being compelled because it was actually part of their laws. So this man that was a Samaritan, and the Samaritans hated Jews. And the Jews pretty much hated Samaritans. And so you have this tension, but this man sees this man lying there in the way. Verse 33, and as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He was moved from within for this man. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds pouring in the oil and the wine, which he probably carried for himself because it was medicinal. So it was like making sure you took your medicine bag with you when you went down this dangerous trail of the oil and the wine. So he took what was his for himself, and he gave it to this other man that was in need. He poured in the oil wine, and he set him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave it to him, to the host, the host of the inn, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay you. So he planned on going back by and making sure 
that if there was any debt left from the care of this man, that he would come right with the keeper of the inn. And that's compassion. And then Jesus said something that's very important. Verse 36. Which now of these thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. That's what God is saying to the church. Do you see them? Do you pass by them? Do you pass by because, and walk on the other side of the road because no one sees you? Or do you take your substance, your oil, your wine, and pour it upon them? It wasn't just an analogy of a story Jesus was telling. It was a message, a message for us. Hallelujah. Okay, now what are our hindrances? Where do I stand in compassion? First of all, it's very difficult to be moved by God's compassion if we're not close with him. So intimacy with God is a very important part of him being able to move in us because the carnal mind does not receive the things of the spirit. So the spirit, if we're walking in a carnal mind and in a carnal way, in carnal activity, and giving attention to our carnal five senses all of the time, then what happens is we are insensitive to feeling the moving of the Holy Spirit who is the one that lets us feel the heart of Jesus inside of us. So being close to God, of course, is, is the, first, the first thing that matters. But what could be hindrances? I'm going to just read a few little hindrances here that we might have. Ambition. That's a real big one in the Church of the United States. God help us. Ambition. Me. My ministry. I, you know, that's for the little people to do. I'm the big people. I'm so busy climbing, I can't see anybody else but me. I can't see anybody else but me in the ladder. I don't think that's any of you people, but that's true of of some. Insecurity or fear. I'm not able. Step out. Trust Christ and his love. Trust his love, not your deeds. His love. His love for people. When that girl screamed at me in the middle of farmer's market, which doesn't exist anymore, there were so many people there. I turned five shades of red, and I was bold. I'm still kind of bold, but I was really bold. But you know what? I thought, it's okay, Jesus, I don't care, because I know you love her. So you might have to eat a little humble pie, but is that better than that person having eternity screaming in hell? Hallelujah. Now, I'm not put, I'm, I'm going to let you feel better here in a minute, okay? <laughs> so so uh, don't freak out. Just remember, it's if you remember, he loves them. Jesus, let me feel your love for them. Give me a word for them. Sometimes God might even say, you know what? You have a cousin named David, and you're worried about his salvation, and God wants you to know that he's got a handle on it. Or I can tell that maybe you've got something wrong with your body. Do you mind if I pray? I've done that a lot of times. People almost always say yes. I had one lady on a plane that said no. She had a migraine. I could tell like this. I said, can I pray for you? And she said, no. And on a two-hour, I was like two- or three-hour plane flight, she never said a word, and she stood up. We started walking down the aisle, and she looked at me, and she had tears in her eyes. She goes, I'm so sorry that I told you I didn't want you to pray for me because I do need prayer, and I do want you to pray for me. (laughs) Do you know that poor little thing suffered for three, two to three hours feeling bad about that? 
Hallelujah. God got her. It wasn't me. It was God, you know. Bless the Lord. How about stagnation? This is my favorite. I'm so sorry. Got a little froggy there. Come out, frog. Um, Or how about stagnation? Being conformed to religion rather than Christ. Now, see, I'm talking talk like a homie here. Okay. Um, Doing church, the do's, the don'ts, and the deeds. Do's, don'ts, and deeds. We can get caught up in that and absolutely not be in touch with God. But if you're dry, get into just basking in his presence. Don't go to him just to get something. Go to him just to be with him. When you're really in love with someone or you really have a friend that you really love, you can sit together and not talk and be comfortable. And listen to this. We all, as beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, when you open the Bible, the mirror, the glass, a glass represents a mirror, are changed from one image, the same image, from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. As we look at Jesus, we are being changed from one degree of splendor to the next by the glory of the Lord. Intimacy pleases him. Okay, we're, we're going past this one. Now, let me let you off the hook, okay? Those things are true that I shared. They're from the word of God. My expounding on it, I believe, is accurate. God loves souls. God loves people. God loves you. He loves you. He's not mad at you, okay? You're forgiven, but you know what? The whole world is forgiven. The only sin they'll go to hell for is not believing on Jesus. And that's the truth. There is no condemnation in Christ. Don't feel guilty, but if you're convicted, decide to make a change. And here's the good news that set me free because I was raised being guilty. You could hire me to be guilty for you. I mean, seriously, I could be hired out and do guilt better than you, for you. It was a family bloodline thing. We got the best guilters going around, the ones that aren't saved, still tormenting them own selves, their own selves, to be correct. Philippians 2.13 and the Amplified set me free one day. For it is God, it is not your own strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you both to will and work. That is strengthening, energizing, creating in you the longing and ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. Not your strength, excuse me, not your strength, not your strength. God's at work in you to will and do of his good pleasure, but not your strength. That'll set you free. We just need to let him and realize we can be willing, but we can't change us. We can't. We need God. He has to be the one that does it. Now, I want to share this with you. One phrase, let go of me and let God. Let go of me and let God just be willing. 
And the last scripture, which I would like you to turn to, Micah 6.8. Do you know what God requires of you? Do you know? And I don't mean what you think your calling is, what you specifically are to do, you know, sing, preach, win souls, serve, as uh, serve in the house of God, teach children, stand on a street corner. But what does God require of you? All of us. Micah 6, 8. <clears throat> he has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy or compassion and to walk humbly with thy God. This morning the Lord had a word in church when the kid, uh, the prayer room when the kids were praying over me. Thank you, kids. I appreciate it. Kids and young men and women of God, actually is a better term. The Lord had a word uh, from, from me. It's from the Lord, but it came out of me. I saw it, that there's a wave coming of which they're going to be in the forefront and that God is going to use them and there will be signs and wonders, but that they must be humble. Those that God is going to use in the last days for the things that we're waiting for, that last final harvest that will, is speeding up, time is speeding up, and more will come in quicker, is going to be done by those that are willing and by those that are humble. And so it, God requires of us, he requires of us what Micah 6, 8 says, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Amen. Amen.